Welcome to Sparkplug, where we talk to smart people working at the intersection of business and technology. Brought to you by Snowshoe, making mobile locations smarter. Today, we're happy to welcome to Sparkplug Melissa Wong, CEO of Retail Zipline. Her company is revolutionizing physical retail systems and has raised a successful Series A, and she's now changing the face of retail with over a quarter of a million users worldwide using Retail Zipline. So welcome to Sparkplug. Thanks so much. It's great to, to be here. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. What's your story? My story, it's funny. So um, my story actually starts out in retail. For 10 years, I actually um, worked at uh, The Gap. And in that 10 years, I always actually focused specifically on store communication and store execution. And one of the things over the decade working in retail that was always a struggle through, you know, four brand presidents and three heads of stores was that we were never able to achieve consistent store execution from store to store or really uh, get visibility into it. And so, you know, for those of you that aren't in retail, people always ask, well, what is store execution? And what happens in retail locations is that a lot of times, um, you know, there are so many moving pieces um, in terms of what stores are being asked to do from putting up marketing to changing out inventory, to pulling, um, to doing pullbacks of, you know, potentially uh, hazardous products that maybe are getting, you know, sent back or, you know, there was the romaine lettuce recall of like two years ago, right? So a store has to execute um, many, 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 many different things a week, every week and every month. And I think COVID has really shown, you know, the safety health standards are changing on a dime. The stores just have a ton of things to do. And in the past, in my past, for 10 years, we always struggled with how do we get stores to consistently execute to direction? And so after 10 years of communication evolutions and, um, you know, trying different solutions, hacking together different processes and Frankensteining technologies and talking to different retailers, I actually realized that there wasn't a good solution in the market that really supported better communication to stores, to district managers, to regional directors that gave headquarters visibility into the work stores were doing. And so I met my co-founder and... That was the beginning of the retail zipline journey. <laughs> so it really started with, I like to say, like a lot of like wine and, and sweat and tears, right? Like it started from really living, living and breathing the retail problems. Right. Or a lot of startup success is scratching your own itch or solving your own problem. So it sounds <laughs> like you actually lived that journey of a customer. Yes. Uh, for better, for better and for worse, right? So very uh, have very intimate knowledge about what retailers are trying to achieve both strategically and, you know, being nimble and meeting the customer where they're at, as well as the, you know, firsthand challenges of how removed and how disconnected, um, the stores can be from the corporate strategies. Well, congratulations on your success so far. Um, you're a woman and launched a successful business. Do you feel that there are any obstacles to female entrepreneurs today? So Karen, it's funny you ask that. Um, so, you know, from a, because I just read in some funding news that uh, the primary determining factor to get funded is actually gender. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I know it's, it's, I just actually sent this to my partner. I was like, well, that's, that's not great. Um, I guess Santa Clara University 
did a study of, you know, 48,000 companies. And um, the primary determining factor for attaining funding was actually being a man. So I would say, you know, that's very disheartening, I think, especially with the, the themes of seeing, you know, um, very highly uh, educated and successful women dropping out of the workforce via COVID. Um, I think that there are societal pressures that make it harder, I think, for women to be successful or lead companies. But I think obviously it can be done. We did our series A, we did our series B. I have a one and a half year old daughter. <laughs> so I know that it's possible. Um, but I do think that, you know, at least in this recent study, the odds can be stacked against female founders in an unfair way. So how do we change that moving forward? How do we change the culture? You know, I'm, you know, just to speak totally candidly as, as a first time mom um, and, and as a founder, I think a lot of it has to do with support systems that we give parents and we give, we give moms um, making sure, you know, our, our board emergence um, and VC was very supportive of me, um, you know, taking time off, you know, having a flexible work arrangement like I wanted um, that I felt would help set me up for success. And so I think that a lot of changing the dynamic has to do with giving women more support. One, having more women um, in VCs, right, as partners, because I think when you look at VCs, a lot of times they're pattern recognition, recognizing um, either from their own experiences or uh, seeing themselves in other people. And so, um, having more female representation in, in organizations that are making funding decisions, I think would also have a big impact. So speaking of support systems, um, how have retail ziplines customers' needs evolved since the start of COVID-19 and the pandemic? You know, I, I guess I'll answer your question in two parts. So you asked, how have retailers' needs evolved pre and I guess during COVID, before COVID, the need for a retailer has always been to, um, you know, get a seamless customer experience, right? A lot of what the trends we were seeing in the market was that the stores were being seen as the best manifestation of the brand. Store employees were the best ambassadors, the most authentic way to truly connect with customers. And um, a lot of times some brands like Sephora really saw the stores, the most significant kind of like marketing channel, right? Had very, very high conversion, um, very high loyalty that also reduced, you know, return costs. So it was a very predictable kind of um, business unit. When we look at, but you know, there was actually a, a pretty big disconnect in terms of retailers talking about the omni-channel experience, right? Having, you know, a very seamless experience online and in-store and actually delivering on it. And you know, kind of ironically enough, COVID was really a forcing function that forced retailers to actually de deliver on that promise. And you see that with, you know, curbside pickup, you see that with um, retailers looking at optimizing business processes for getting goods to customers, either through like drivers, you see that through retailers operating, doing ship from store versus from distribution centers. And so I think COVID has really been a forcing function on the industry to look at how do I operate my business in the most effective way and truly deliver 
on this omni-channel promise and deliver a brand consistency to a customer at any um, touch point. Got it. So, I mean, grocery stores, you know, throughout COVID remained open while a lot of other retail and other type of businesses remained closed. And we saw a lot of people working remote. Um, how can you speak on that type of communication that the platform offers? Um, and is there, is there much of a difference? So through COVID, we actually saw an increase of communication up to 40% across all of, we have over 50 of the world's best brands, right? So we have like Ivy's, the Legos, the Sephora, the Lululemon's, the Nike's, um, Quick Trips. So, and across all of our customers, there was an increase of communication. And I think a lot of that has to do with health and safety, right? The business was changing so quickly. There was a need for actually different hand sanitization, alcohol percentage types from county to county. It was quite, quite wild. The types of communications that we support in Zipline are, I would say like, you know, fall into four typical communication categories. You know, the first one is nice to know information. So that can be letters from the president. Um, we saw a lot of that with Hy-V's CEO talking directly down to the associates during COVID, talking about um, the, the role they were playing in public health and safety and how Hy-V was really that, you know, what Hy-V was doing to make sure that um, associates knew that they were being uh, prioritized and taken care of. The second type of communication is need to do communication. So that's like putting up marketing, um, you know, installing floor decals or installing uh, touchless POS points. The third point uh, type of communication is what we call library of resources or evergreen information. So that can be like policy and procedure that can be, um, you know, bank, how to uh, like banking information. So anything that a store needs to, you know, occasionally go to. And then the fourth type of communication is dialogue, discussion, and debate. So that's more like chat products. And so Zipline takes all four of those communications and puts them into one platform in a really easy way for stores to understand where they need to go to get the information they need to run their business, regardless of what type of circumstance they're facing. So over time, I'm sure that you've seen retail really change in regards to the communication that's needed. So what, what new forms of communication have become important for retailers over the last, you know, 10, 20 years? Yeah, so I think, you know, there are two key themes that I think have really been emerging in the past couple of years in particular. Retail used to be a lot about transaction, right? used to be about going to the store to get the thing. Um, and it was less about the experience. When we look at the themes of communication that's evolved more recently, there's a lot more of a focus on really engaging teams and engaging associates. It's not just about here, put up this piece of marketing for like this, this sneaker. It's really talking to the associates around the investment that the company's made. It could be like, let's take, for example, Nike. Instead of just saying like, here's the SKU 15237, put this, you know, merchandise this in this location, put up this marketing. There's more of a trend and need to say like, hey, as a company, we just partnered with like, you know, this famous basketball store. This is the things that we're, you know, talking about in social media. This is how you should merchandise this. This is how the marketing looks. And this is our vision for how we see 
this promotion coming to life across the company. And so there's really more of a theme of, of tying together the, you know, uh, the, the what's and the how we're doing and connecting the dots and how stores are a part of the larger picture. You know, I would say that that's one theme. And then the second theme simply is just reaching down to um, associates and having the chat portion. I think retailers, you know, even five years ago, were a little bit more hesitant to have their teams chatting with each other, but they've seen that especially with the pandemic, there's a, a greater need for people to kind of um, learn from their communities, right? Kind of like knowledge sharing. And it's a, a very fast way to get feedback and um, have a discussion then that's a lot more needed now than it was before. Okay, so touching back real quick on um, health and safety guidelines, I wanted to ask about that research study around total retail's top 100 omni-channel retailers and their ability to execute against recommended health and safety guidelines. Can you speak on that a little bit and your findings? Sure. So, um, so that's, we, we partnered with an organization in total retail um, to do the NAPCO study. And what that was is essentially a secret shopping, a secret shop at a, a 100 of um, 100 retailers to see how they're performing in terms of store execution across four key pillars, which was safety, traffic, friendliness, and marketing. You know, I think one thing that was interesting on the first shopping trip was we found that non-essential uh, retailers were executing better than essential retailers. And, you know, the hypothesis was that because stores closed with non-essential retailers, they had a time to kind of like reset their teams to um, really put the processes in place before they open their stores again. In the second shopping trip, actually non-essential and essential were on the same bar uh, and were performing the same. So that, you know, really showed that essential was able to catch up. I th another thing that was interesting to us, and which was one of the reasons why we partnered with NAPCO, we partnered with NAPCO to actually get the data from the secret shopping trips. We had a hypothesis that retail zipline customers would perform better than, than, than brands that weren't using retail zipline. And we, saw, we found that that was true. So zipline customers performed on average seven to 12 points above the four categories consistently. Um, then retailers that weren't using Zipline. So, uh, you know, I, I, a great testament to um, my head of marketing who thought like, oh, interesting, like it'd be great to partner with NACO to see what the data shows. We believe this, but you know, is that, is that actually the case? And it was, it was great to see that, that that was actually how the findings um, ended up. So in terms of additional hypotheses that you might be testing, what other things do you hope to prove in the marketplace? So we've been looking a lot around um, the role that data, like what data can bring in terms of insight, right? And so when we look at uh, execution in retailers at a specific location, being able to triangulate the data from either other, you know, zipline customers or non-zipline customers by looking at Glassdoor um, reviews or Yelp reviews and be able to say, to give people the information around is this store or you know district um, performing better or worse than their neighbors? That's the type of information um, we're looking to surface. Um, another hypothesis we have is that retailers that 
have higher ratings on Glassdoor or, or more engaged associates actually do better financially than retailers that don't. And that makes a lot of, of sense. And we've begun, we've begun to see early findings in that. Um, but I think there's a lot more that we can uncover. Got it. So do you, do you have specific metrics that you measure for communication improvement? We look at it not as much communication improvement as we look at what is the behaviors that we want to generate, right? And for us, that store execution, like are the stores actually doing the things that we're asking them to do? Um, Gap Inc. mentioned uh, is one of our customers. And a couple of years ago, they met, they were using an, an older task management solution. And they said, you know, we were, we're seeing about 25 to 30% execution of things we were asking them to do, which isn't great, right? If you have hundred stores, that means only 25 to 30 of your stores are actually doing the thing. And then they said with retail zipline after, you know, we implemented with them, they said that they were seeing over 90% execution for next day direction, which is great. And which also is great because um, they were using us during COVID. And I, I'm sure that that the ability to be agile and nimble and send information down and know it's being acted on, I'm sure that helped them keep their health and safety standards up and keep their doors open during a really tumultuous time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Door execution improvement is quite the superpower. Are there any additional retail consumers that you can speak about that have had the most positive impact since adopting your technology? Yeah, so I think, you know, there are two other examples that come to mind, actually three. So one is um, Lego. So, you know, the really most loved brand and they wanted to make sure that their brand experiences was coming across consistently to consumers. Um, you know, I one of our advocates emailed me an email from a store manager that, um, went on PTO and they were using Zipline. And he said to our advocate at, Le at Lego, you know, as a store manager, when I go on PTO, usually I come back and I felt like the brand experience is compromised. Like, you know, I am always following up, things have fallen in between the cracks, et cetera. And he said, you know, I came back and my store was incredibly, uh, running incredibly smoothly. And Zipline has made me realize what a great team of leaders I, ha I have and uh, has made me a better leader myself. And so that was like just a phenomenal email to get because we are in service to helping brands succeed. Um, and then the second use case that is really interesting is we have a lot of digital natives. So like Casper, Warby, Away, um, Allbirds. And really with those brands, we talk about how they've achieved a cult-like following online, right? When they open one or two stores, they look at the adoption um, and the customer, the customer adoption in those markets, they really create a playbook for how things can work. And then they, tr they begin scaling, right? But a lot of the success of the first one, two, five stores typically comes from a deep tribal knowledge and once you begin scaling stores at a rapid rate and opening, you know, 20 stores a year, um, one retailer was actually going to open 100 stores in the next year. Um, 
you really need a playbook for success and a blueprint that can be scaled because all of your team members are going to be new. And that's what Zipline has enabled for these um, digital native, native brands. We've enabled them to replicate their blueprint. So as companies get bigger, um, what other things have to change? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like, you know, like a much broader question than Zipline. Um, yeah. You know, people are, are looking at their inventory levels, they're looking at their real estate positions, and really it comes down to like, how much can you put your stores into specific cohorts that optimize productivity, um, you know, based off of the KPIs that you have, you know, with a store fleet of 1200, you have hot stores, you have cold stores, small flag, you know, flagship, small footprint. Um, you might have some dark stores with a fleet of five. You might, all of those stores might, might be very, very similar. So the bigger the business is, the more targeted and specialized it can be from a store experience perspective. In your long experience, what do retailers do well and how can retailers improve? To be honest, you know, there's nothing better than um, retailers being able to, when they're able to really capture the heart and, and kind of like essence of aspirational living, whether that's really high end or we, you know, whether that has to do with like home decor, whether that has to do with like a bargain basement find, there's something about retail that has, that captures people's imagination and aspiration for who they want to be. But I don't think that, you know, as many brands or other industries have been able to replicate. There's something around the human connection, the connectivity, like Lululemon has yoga studios in stores, right? They're known for like the, the sweet or the sweat life. There's something really magical about retail brands and the community it creates and brings and what it enables people to ultimately be or become through new clothes or through, you know, like a different, you know, furniture makeover that I think that other industries that puts it kind of like above and beyond other industries. Well, we've spent time talking to small retailers who really create a unique, customized, curated experience. Can larger retailers learn from, from, from those kinds of small retail experiences? Totally. Absolutely. And I think like the, the challenge that larger retailers have in creating those, you know, curated experiences is how do I get consistency if you're going to take that one curated store experience and expand it to 2000 stores? How am I going to get all of my stores to actually create that curated experiences? And that comes down to like communication and execution. Right. Karen, any last questions? Yeah, I have a couple. Um, what advice do you have for other female entrepreneurs? You know, what's interesting is that like in my own personal journey, I, one, I never, I never thought that I would um, be a startup founder. (laughs) Um, And really, I think through the journey and the fundraise, like we haven't had as much of a difficult time raising money. I think that has to do with us following our passion and the kind of like information that we, we distinctly know. So other female founders, I would say like, keep going, you know, keep going, keep, you know, like fight through the fear, fight through the nose, like 
if you really have a passion and you have knowledge about something that is special and unique, like you can definitely make it happen. And you can also make it happen with your own personal life as long as you surround yourself with a community or support system that will um, enable you to have some sort of balance. Wow. Okay. So building off of that, um, what is your personal mission? You know, what do you want to be remembered for? I think just improving. I mean, to be honest, it's really like improving how retail operates, right? It's like, I, I left retail because I felt like the industry was so underserved. All of these startups were focusing on, you know, high tech workers at, at these like really, you know, well-funded companies and, and retail is the, is like the most populous workforce in America. So who is helping work, you know, the everyday worker really do better. And if I can help the everyday worker get more clarity into their job to give time back so they can spend with their family. And if I can make their jobs easier by giving them a solution that helps them, that's the, the change that I would like to make uh, in this world. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. Really appreciate your time today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening today to the Spark Plug Podcast, hosted by me, Ned Hayes, and brought to you by Snowshoe, snow.sh, for smarter mobile location. Spark Plug is a wholly owned property of Snowshoe. All content, copyright, 2021, Spark Plug Media.